0: Hey, creep, I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant, it may not end the way you want it to, but this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is, shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening It was Halloween 2012, when 24-year-old Rebecca Gay went missing in a small town in Michigan called Mount Pleasant. In a small town where everyone knows everyone, where everyone has grown up together over generations, each loss is felt more deeply, and to say the entire town was shocked at her disappearance would be an understatement. Rebecca Gay was a loving and caring mother to her son, three-year-old Conway, and she'd just been promoted to head cashier at Goodwill, where she worked. Things were looking up in her life. Although she'd gotten pregnant unexpectedly, which set her back a few steps financially, it was good to see things improving, and her promotion was the first step in that. On that Halloween, when Rebecca went missing, the entirety of Isabella County was swarming with police, looking for any sign of her whereabouts, any sign that Rebecca was still alive, and where she might be. The pastor of their local congregation, Pastor John D. White, who was Rebecca Gay's mother's fiancé, asked the town to pray for her safe return. But unknown to anyone at that time, John D. White had all the answers, John D. White, the pastor at Rebecca's church and her mother's fiancé, had not always been a man of God. When he was younger, he served in the Navy, and upon leaving the Navy, became a long-haul truck driver. He was living in Battle Creek, Michigan then, 22 years old and married. John's story really starts in 1980, when he invited his 17-year-old neighbor Teresa Etherton to his house. She followed him into the basement, and while she was turned away from him, John D. White attacked her, stabbing her 15 times and choking her. Teresa later claimed John smiled while he stabbed her, saying, You're going to go now and I'm really sorry you had to go like this, but what the heck. You're just a woman. Despite John's best efforts and against the expectation of police and doctors, Teresa survived the 15 stab wounds and was able to report what had happened to the police. In 1981, John D. White pled no contest to the charges and was sent to prison for a measly 10 years. But he appealed twice and was out in two. It wasn't until 1994 that John D. would commit his first successful murder. Vicki Sue Wall was 26 years old and John's mistress at that time. John and his wife had already welcomed their firstborn child into the world and had another child on the way. But it mattered little to him. While John D had been working maintenance at a textile company, he had met Vicky. She was his co-worker, and they quickly started their affair. Last time anyone saw Vicky alive, she was getting in John's black pickup truck at 3 a.m. in a lit grocery parking lot. John had quickly been brought in for questioning by police, but he told police he had dropped Vicki off at her home in the morning. Despite John's best efforts, investigators were unconvinced of his version of events. But, unfortunate for them, they had little to no evidence and were unable to charge him, instead letting him go. It took six long weeks, but investigators finally came to know what had become of Vicki Sue Wall. In a densely wooded rural area in Kalamazoo County, investigators found Vicky's remains. She lay naked, except a t-shirt, and a bra that had been wrapped around her neck and throat. It was only two miles from the grocery store she had last been seen getting into John's black pickup truck, and her body was unfortunately beyond the point of being able to determine a cause of death due to the advanced and devastating decomposition that had already taken place. The most obvious starting point for investigators was John. Police knew there were too many signs for it not to be him who was responsible for Vicky's death. John D. White's vehicle was searched and blood was found in spots all over the vehicle. But besides that, there wasn't much evidence to assist police in securing a conviction. John D. White pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter and received 8 to 15 years for the death of Vicky. The running theory amongst investigators was that Vicky had pressured John D about their affair, and out of fear of his wife finding out about his philandering, that he had murdered Vicky to keep his secret. At the sentencing, John claimed Vicky's death was a tragic accident, and that he had loved her. While John was in prison, though, he began to speak with a psychologist. That's when the depths of his depravity were finally vocalized, when they finally came to light. John fantasized not about what would be considered normal or healthy, but about violently murdering women and performing necrophilic acts with their corpses. Over the 12 years he was in prison, despite his admissions, he claimed to have found God and that he was now a reformed man. And that brings us back to Rebecca Gay. On February 11, 2007, John D. White was released from prison, and decided that now was the time that he would turn his life around. He was out of jail with a new lease on life, and if not now, then never. John moved into a trailer park in the small community of Mount Pleasant and eventually became a minister with the Christ Community Fellowship, which was, as I stated, the same church Rebecca attended along with her mother, Sally Gay, who was John's fiancée. His past transgressions and sins were no secret to the church congregation. They were well aware of his violent past, but all believed that he was now a religious man, and having found Christ, believed his sins to have been forgiven, and were affording him that opportunity to make amends for his past and the evil deeds within it. It would only take five years. Five short years that John D. hid what and who he truly was from the people of Mount Pleasant. Or perhaps five years was the length John could trick himself into believing he'd actually changed. Five years of lying to himself in the mirror every morning. He had been released from prison five years ago, and John D. White could no longer hide his violent nature and sexual deviance. It was the early morning of Halloween 2012, and John was already intoxicated, reeking of booze and concentrating on each footstep John made his way to Rebecca's trailer Rebecca who was his fiance's daughter Rebecca who had just been promoted to head cashier Rebecca who had a son who loved her very much and a fiance who she was looking forward to spending her life with John stumbled over to Rebecca's trailer home and whether he bust through the front door unannounced or was let in The tragic result was the same. John attacked Rebecca, viciously smashing her in the head with a rubber mallet over and over until she had collapsed, crumpled on the ground. John strangled Rebecca with a zip tie. All the meanwhile, Rebecca's son Conway was only a few feet away in the next room. John had murdered Rebecca, ending her life with a zip tie around her neck and a rubber mallet but that left John with a body which he had to dispose of. Just like he had done with Vicky, John didn't go far to dispose of the body. In this case, it was even closer to the scene of the crime, where he had traveled the full two miles with Vicky from the grocery store, where she'd last been seen alive. With Rebecca, he only traveled one mile, where he found a ditch and thoughtlessly and callously left her body there. John D. White then went back to Rebecca's trailer home and dressed her son Conway in his Halloween costume before dropping him off at his father's. And given that John D. White was Rebecca's mother's fiance, nothing seemed too irregular about the arrangement. It wasn't until Rebecca's coworkers noticed her absence at work later that day and reported her missing that anyone began to worry. An investigation quickly took place, trying to locate Rebecca's whereabouts. John D. White asked everyone to pray for her, and the community of Mount Pleasant stood shocked that one of their own had just vanished. But it wouldn't take long until everyone would find out what had happened to the smart, young, and caring Rebecca Gay. In church, John confessed to Rebecca's murder before leading investigators to her body that lay in the ditch devoid of life. John D. White was arrested and brought in for formal questioning by Isabella County Sheriff deputies. John admitted to police that he had gone into Rebecca's trailer after drinking four or five beers, then killed her, and later disposed of her body. But that contradicted an anonymous tip that they had received. Police had received a call stating that someone had seen Rebecca near her home alive and alone around 6.50 a.m. on October 31st. But the mystery of the anonymous caller and tip would also be solved in this period of questioning. John White admitted that he had been the one to make the call and that he had lied attempting to confuse the police. John also told investigators that before walking over drunk and stumbling to Rebecca's trailer, That he had watched necrophilia pornography on the internet. After murdering Rebecca Gay, John threw Rebecca's purse, phone, and car keys into the trailer park trash and disposed of the other items near the intersection by where Rebecca's body was later found. John then drove Rebecca's car to the barn door bar parking lot to make it look like she had been abducted. In an affidavit, Detective David Patterson summarized John D. White's statement to police. He stated that he had been having bad thoughts for about two weeks about killing Rebecca Gay and then having sex with her dead body. Although John D. White couldn't remember if he indeed had sex with Rebecca's dead body, he did admit to undressing her body and touching her. According to court records, he tried to achieve an erection but was unable to do so. And John hadn't even been on their radar for the crime. And the Sheriff's Department had no record of John's previous run-ins with the law, which seems to be a consistent issue in law enforcement. A lack of a national database, which then relies on individual police departments to communicate of their own accord, something they aren't always willing to do. On January 23, 2013, John waived his rights to a preliminary hearing, The preliminary hearing was to determine whether there was probable cause for the trial to proceed. The 55-year-old John D. White had entered into a plea agreement with prosecutors, and part of that meant waiving the rights to the preliminary hearing and proceeding straight towards the pre-trial hearing. At the murder trial Sally, John's fiance, and Rebecca's mother said that John was no longer the man she once knew and asked for the court to be merciless in their conviction, saying... For 20 excruciating hours, we prayed that Rebecca would come home. She was not yours to take. How dare you! On April 18th, 2013, John was sentenced to 56 years in prison, but wouldn't even serve a fraction of his sentence. John D. White was pronounced dead after he was found hanging with a bedsheet tied around his neck. In his prison cell on August 28, 2013, John D. White, like many cowards before him, committed suicide. He was a coward because he took the lives of two young women and was unwilling to take the heavy consequences of murdering Rebecca. He had gotten away nearly scot-free on two previous offenses, but Rebecca's murder was one he wasn't going to get out of easily. Instead of paying penance for his crime, he decided to be a coward and end his own sentence. So, Creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole where we release a Patreon exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more if you have some time on your hands please consider leaving us a 5 star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts they are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there and even more importantly Every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors.